I am glad to be here with you this evening, and I do hope that you have had a wonderful Lord's Day. Um, it is always a blessing to come to the house of the Lord, to meet with God's people, and to sing his praises, and to uh, look into his word, and I hope your heart has already been challenged this day. Uh, I hope to continue that, <laughs> to, to challenge your heart. Um, We'll be looking in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 10. In Wagga, I've been preaching through the book of Romans, and I have no clue how long it will take. There is so much in Romans, I could preach another sermon. Every time I look at it, I'm like, oh, I missed that. I could add that one in and go back another chapter and add some more. Um, there's just a lot in Romans. Because Paul was focused on getting the teaching of Christ across and focused specifically on salvation. If we were to title Romans, it would definitely have to have something to do with salvation. Coming into Romans chapter 10, Paul has established that everyone is a sinner. He's established that the Jews and the Gentiles, the people of Israel and those who were not, all had to come as equals to Christ. And now uh, he comes in, verse, in, in chapter 10 um, and his focus switches. Before this, he has been trying to convince the Jews that the Gentiles should be included. But in this chapter, and a couple of verses in chapter 9, he also is trying to convince the Gentiles that the Jews should not be excluded. In fact, in uh, Romans 9, the first five verses, he says that he was willing uh, to be accursed for his kinsmen, the Israelites, if they could but be saved. And in chapter 10, he continues this. He, he takes that theme back up. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Our hearts, our prayers also should be that Israelites or Gentiles, our neighbors or those far away, that everyone would come and be saved. In this chapter, though, Paul wants to describe one aspect where the Israelites and their religion had failed them. You see, they had turned worship of God into a religion, and so they had failed. Paul starts out in chapter uh, 10, verse 2, in his traditional fashion. He starts out by praising them for something before he comes down with the hammer, boom. <laughs> so verse two, he says, I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. And then the hammer, but not according to knowledge. <laughs> they don't understand why they should have a zeal toward God. In fact, the rest of the chapter deals with this knowledge that they missed. You see, in verses 3 and 4, he says the thing that they wanted was righteousness. 
but they couldn't get there the right way. The Jews of his day and for generations, many of them were ignorant, reading in verse 3, ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So I want us to stop right there for a second. Consider what it means to have a zeal for God. The people of Israel were known as having a zeal of God. How did that manifest in the nation of Israel? Well, we know it is such that they knew they needed righteousness. Yes, they went the wrong way to get there, but they knew the right goal. And they pressed after it with everything they had. Zeal is uh, defined as an earnest desire to accomplish or obtain a particular goal or an object. It is to have a passionate, fervent desire to get there to the end goal. Zeal is a good thing to have. Uh, we will come back to that. The Jews had this fervent desire. Their eyes were focused on that goal. They wanted to reach God. It was the center of their worship. They had a temple, and that's where they went to worship God. And it was the center of their nation. They prided themselves as being the only nation who had heard from God. Paul deals with that in Romans chapter 9, if you want to go back and look at that, how they did have much to be proud of because God had talked directly to them. But here, Paul says their zeal was not according to knowledge. What did they do? Well, Paul described himself as zealous before he was saved, and that zeal led him to consent unto the death of Christians, those who preached a way different than he thought right. He had so much fervor for God that he was willing to commit murder for it. Now, I'm not saying here tonight I want people to start committing murder <laughs> for their belief, but they believed strongly. This is something that Israel could be praised for. They knew the right goal. They were seeking after the true God. They just went the wrong way. In verse 4, we see that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. That is the end of law being a means to get to righteousness for everyone that believes. You see, if you believe in God, He gives you righteousness. And that's the only true way to get it. Throughout the rest of this chapter, Paul talks about faith giving us salvation. That the gospel of peace brings glad tidings and good news. How then did the Jews go so wrong? How did they go the wrong way? If they had the right goal and they were enthusiastic about it, how did they end up in the wrong place? Is it because 
No one had ever told them the truth. Well, that's not why. In verse 19, we read, um, Did not Israel know? Uh, But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. They had heard the truth. They should have known the way to get to righteousness. What was it that prevented them? We are given a hint of it in verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath, obeyed, hath believed our report? And in verse 21, Paul concludes this chapter saying, But unto Israel he saith, that is God says, says, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. So the people of God had the right goal in mind. They wanted to reach God and they knew that along the way they needed to pick up some righteousness. And as they're going towards that, they start hearing what God wants them to do and immediately they start disobeying. This is how they failed. They knew the right way and they turned their backs on it. They heard, but they didn't believe. This was the failing of Israel. And as a whole, the nation of Israel still looks for a Messiah, a deliverer. They look for God to come down and be with them and to restore their nation and the temple and all of these things. And they want to establish their own righteousness and will not believe that one has come and died for them. We are to tell others about this. That's what the gospel is. But I want us to consider our own hearts tonight. Because though the, re- the focus of this chapter is not zeal, without understanding being zealous or what it means to have zeal, the rest of this chapter falls apart. You see, if you know the truth in your mind, but you do not have any motion attached to it, no obedience, you're going to fall apart. You're not ever going to reach the end goal. You might have the right goal, but you're never going to reach it because you're not moving. So I want to ask you, what are you zealous of? Because as Christians, we have knowledge. And we have taken that first step of obedience, haven't we? We know that Christ is to save us. And so we believe that faith in him will give us righteousness. We've taken that step. But what is it that we are zealous of? Do we have a zeal of God? Paul bared them record. That is, he put his stamp and said, I can attest that these people are zealous of God. As evil as the people of Israel were, they were zealous of God. Are we zealous of God? 
We have looked at the meaning of zeal. But why is zeal important to understanding this passage? Well, it's because zeal causes us to go beyond. You see, if we understand something, we know what the right goal is, that's good. If we believe it enough to take that and apply it to our own life, that's better. But what is it that God wants for us? He wants to do something beyond that. He wants us to be zealous in our faith. He wants us to be proclaiming our faith. We see this is the um, aim of Paul. In verse 9 he says, uh, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Yes, it requires belief, but that belief must come out of our mouth. If it is a belief that stays in our head and does not come out, then it's not really belief. It needs to be zealous. If we are zealous of something, we promote it at every turn. The uh, illustration I've heard a few times from the pulpit is if you had the cure to cancer, for instance, would you keep it to yourself, put it in your pocket and you know, hide it away and keep it as a secret? Or would you be proclaiming it from the housetops saying, I've got the cure, this will save lives? Of course, you would be hopefully, a bit generous with the cure. Uh, uh oh, looks like a lot of people here wouldn't be very generous. You'd be generous with the cure and hopefully not try and just profit off of it. You would give it away. You would uh, make everyone have the access to this cure. And that's just cancer. As bad as cancer is, we've got something even better. We should be zealously affected. Unfortunately, Christianity is not known for its zeal. If we were to look at some religion in the world, maybe you can think in your mind, is there a religion in the world at this time that's zealous? What comes to mind? The Muslims. They're completely wrong but they're zealous. I do not praise them at all. Both their means and their goals are all bad, but they're zealous. Christians are not zealous. We do not seem to be. We seem to match more with Revelation 3. We'll turn there. Revelation chapter 3, and you know where I'm going. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14 to 19. We seem to have this as our description today. Start reading in verse 14 of Revelation chapter 3. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. 
I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thy eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see as many as I love I rebuke and chasten be zealous therefore and repent Christ calls for the church of Laodicea to be zealous and repent his call was not that they learn a bit more, that they take a course, that they study. His call was for them to be zealous. It requires a change. It requires some action. At this point, I want us each to, one to ask ourselves, what would I be known for being zealous as? Because each one of us is enthusiastic about something. There's something that when your friends or your neighbors or someone at church comes to you, you are more than happy to talk about. And you are enthusiastic in your description. Maybe it's sports, something. You can give the blow-by-blow -blow account of every single game that happened for the last hundred years. Or maybe it's some other thing that has your attention. What is it that you are zealous of? What is that thing that you try and convince everyone else that this is the best thing ever? There are many things that try and claim our attention. And there's many things that each one of us are known for. What is it that we are zealous of? If you say, I am zealous of, and the answer is not God, then we need a change. It's as simple as that. Yes, the Israelites were wrong. <laughs> Paul makes that very clear in Romans 10. The Israelites had it all wrong, except they knew who the true God was, and they were trying to get to heaven. They were wrong about how to get there, but they were trying to get there. They were zealous of God. Are we zealous of God? If we're zealous of something else, whatever that thing may be, whether it's the cure for cancer or our favorite sports team or some other wonderful gizmo or gadget, we do everything in our power to promote it. We tell people when they haven't even asked us. <laughs> you know, we say, oh, how you going? The answer is, oh, I'm doing great. I just started. And whatever they're zealous about is what comes out next. Someone who's zealous about something, they're just on fire for that particular thing. We need to be zealous for God according to knowledge. There's a lot to be excited about. God is good. God is loving. 
God is holy. God is amazing. He's prepared a place for us. I know you've heard a little bit about uh, the coming kingdom, the new Jerusalem, and it's exciting. We should be a bit zealous about this. It shouldn't be maybe uh, the last thing we talk about. We should be a bit zealous about God. He is our goal. He is the one we should talk about. The Jews were proud that God had talked to them. Do we ever take pride that we have met with God? We have an opportunity each day to renew a close fellowship with God, to have personal communion with him. That should be exciting. It should crop up in our conversation with other people. We should be convincing other people with every bit of energy we got. You got to get some of God. I know I'm being a little bit facetious there. You've got to get a hold of this truth. You've got to become a believer in the one true God. You need to meet my Savior. These things are what we should be known for, and we're not. Again, this isn't Paul's message in Romans 10. He just mentions zeal of God, but it colors the whole thing. It takes the people of Israel and describes how they didn't obey. You know, They didn't even have the zeal to obey God when they knew the truth. And they definitely didn't go out and tell others. We, on the other hand, are called to tell others. And it's not just the pastor. And it's not just the deacons, the men of the church. Everyone is called to tell others. You know, you might be in primary school. Tell your schoolmates. Just tell them what you know. You don't have to know everything. You don't know everything about maths and you tell your, your friends and how to do maths, you know. You can be enthusiastic about God. We're told in Romans 10, 15, how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace, and bring glad tidings of good things. Paul wanted the people in Rome who had accepted Christ to realize how beautiful it was to preach Christ. Do you view the message of salvation as beautiful? You should make sure everybody else knows you think it's beautiful too. You should esteem those who tell the gospel. When someone else in this church gives the gospel and they let you know that they told their friend or neighbor, you should be excited and happy. You should count them as beautiful. 
I know, that's a bit strange. <laughs> Don't want to look around now. I see everyone's kind of staring straight ahead. <laughs> the person next to you, when they give the gospel, they're beautiful. They're beautiful to God. We are called to be zealous. God wants us to be zealous. Jesus Christ wants his church to be zealous. And specifically in Galatians and in Titus, we are told what? We are to be zealous of. If you'll go now with me to Galatians chapter 4 and verse 18. Galatians 4 and verse 18. But it is good to be zealously affected, always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. Paul encouraged the people of Galatian, Galatia to be zealously affected. That is, to be enthusiastic and encouraged in doing a good thing. This is a bit vague. So let's get a little bit more clear picture in Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. Titus 2 verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity... And purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. What is it that Christ called us for? Why is it that we are to be little Christs, Christ's followers? Why are we called Christians? It is because we are to be characterized by looking like and acting like Christ. And what did he do? How was he known by those people around him? He was known as that one who did wondrous things. He did good works. He healed people. He fed people. He taught people. He forgave people of their sins and he brought them closer to God. These are the things Jesus was known for doing. You and I probably can't reach out and touch people and heal them. We don't have that gift. But we can see the sorrow of their soul and we can bring them to one who has the leaves of the tree of life and can heal their every hurt. Who can wipe away their sorrows. We can bring ones who are lost in their trespasses and sin, who are dead, unable to help themselves. And we can point them to one who delights to bring their souls to him. What good works can we do? This title, Good Works, 
I think, specifically points towards being messengers of a good God. But it doesn't exclude doing nice things for people. We should be doing good things to help people. There's no better way to convince someone you care about them than to help them out. There's no better way to show someone that you have the answer to life's greatest problems than to help them solve little problems that face them day by day. I don't know about you, but sometimes the day gets in the way. You're walking along and you've got work to do and you've got this task and that chore and there's so many things lined up and it's hard to even get a thought in edgewise. If someone helps you out, doing even a simple thing, a glass of water that you didn't have to fetch yourself, that gives you a few seconds to think about how kind they were. And then God can use that. You op opens up an opportunity, a space where you can say, I have a good God, and he's got the eternal life, and water that will flow out of your belly. <laughs> You'll never have to drink again. There's so many opportunities that we miss to do good to others and specifically to do the greatest good, bring them to our Savior. We miss the opportunity to be zealous. So, how do we change? How? How can we be zealous? Is it something that you wave a magic wand? Is it something that you learn five steps? No. No and no. The only thing you can do is every day ask God to give you a heart for those around you. To give you a zeal, a love for Him and His Word that causes you to dig in deep. To read your Bible and pray with such enthusiasm that it starts pouring out of you. To be so focused on God that everyone can see that's where your goal is. Your goal is God. Your goal is to point them to God. We do not have to go on jihad in order to prove to those around us that we are zealous. In fact, if you were to talk to your workmates about spiritual things, more than just a passing, yeah, I went to church on Sunday, you would shock them. They would be, what? what's going on? I mean, just take any random person that you spend more than five minutes with and you tell them about Jesus for even one of those, it will be disturbing to them. It will be something that they're like, wait, well, this doesn't happen. Because they're used to everyone quietly doing their own thing in their own corner and not being zealous. It wouldn't take much. You just start talking to people and they'll be like, yeah, you hear about that church? <laughs> yeah, there's one there in, in Lavington. They're pretty, pretty zealous. <laughs> Knocking on our doors, giving us tracks, talking to us in the street. You know, you can't, you can't have any conversation with him. You talk about the weather, and it ends up talking about God. I don't understand. It wouldn't take much. 
You don't have to have bombs to get people's attention. You just have to be enthusiastic about God. You have to be so convinced that God is worth having. Not just so convinced that you have faith and you're safe, but so convinced that God is worth having, you want everybody to have him too. That's what I pray you will desire. That you will want someone one day to say, yeah, I bear record, that person, they have a zeal. They have a zeal toward God. If that can be said of me, then I've done well. I've done better than I think I can. And that it would all be to God's glory, because I'm shy. <laughs> Any of you have talked to me afterwards, you've known. You know, I've, I'm, I'm not outgoing at all. God is the only one who can give us this zeal. He's the only one. We have to go to him. Say, God, please give me zeal. I've believed you, but now I want to do more. I want to be zealous for you. That's my prayer for this church. For those of you from Waga, that's my prayer for you guys as well. That's my prayer for each one of you. That you would desire to have the zeal of God. And it will manifest itself in good works. And in preaching good tidings to every creature. Let's close with a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is something that can be depended upon. We thank you that salvation is such a simple and easy thing. We just need to obey you, to have faith and trust in the finished work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, that you would make us zealously affected towards you, that we would desire you and we would reach that end goal um, and you would say, you've done well. Father, that is our goal. That is our aim. Lord, I ask that you would change our hearts from being zealous after all of these other things and that instead we would be zealous of you. In Jesus' name, amen.